You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Hey, good to be with you. Uh, Good to be with the people that are in the room and the people that are watching online. I've got a clicker. I've never used a clicker before, Joe. Um, so we'll see where we go. I oh, Here we go. I'm just going to give it a little test. There we go. So we're talking about um, original goodness. I know that you're in your series. Um, and you've, I've had a little look at what you've been doing over the past few weeks and had a chat with Joe about it. And it sounds brilliant. Um, so I imagine that you've learned loads. I imagine that um, you've had loads of brilliant information shared with you. So I'm not going to go too much into the doctrine. I'm going to look a little bit at um, how we can, my, really my hope and my prayer this morning is that we walk out of here with some quantifiable evidence that we really are good, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're made in God's image. And like Joe said, I love to integrate the disciplines of theology and therapy. So I've been a pastor <clears throat> for over 10 years in a church in Lincoln. I have left my husband with three kids in Lincoln today um, to lead a service and it's a dedication service as well so I'm sure it's going to be utter carnage so I happily came down here um, with free arms and a slightly less chaotic brain Um, so that's wonderful but the church of Lincoln does bring its greetings to the church of birth that's a very biblical thing to say isn't it. So um, yeah I love integrating these disciplines so therapy, theology, neuroscience, scripture. As I said, we've been leading church in Lincoln for over 10 years and we're part of a network of churches that comes out of Lincoln. Um, But also I'm a psychotherapist, so I spent a lot of time, a lot of years um, training, learning. I first trained as a counsellor around 15 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, and since then have been upskilling and learning more. So I know I mentioned this last time I was here, but for those that weren't, I just really believe that when we're talking about goodness, who we really are, that we can really afford to um, intersect these two disciplines. And again, I don't want to take a few scriptures and build a whole theology on them, but just to give you a bit of an overview of where I'm coming from, um, we know that... um, Um, There's some really brilliant crossovers, so meditation in the world of science, neuroscience, we see the benefit for our brain and we read that in Psalm 1, but also the whole way throughout the scriptures. Neuroplasticity, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because I really think it is linked to this concept of original goodness and the fact that we are always being renewed, we're always being made good, we're always being remade in the image of God. And neuroplasticity, this idea that our brains aren't fixed entities, that they are um, able to change and rewire themselves and that 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 theory, well it's a a truth really, doesn't just belong in a medical journal or a science lab, it's completely biblical and we read about it in Romans 12, specifically Romans 12 too, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then mindfulness and the link to Psalm 46, that again a lot of things around mindfulness have been co-opted by new age and popular psychology but they're deeply biblical because the whole principle of it is about being still and knowing, that's the whole principle of mindfulness then gratitude, intrusive thoughts. And we unpacked that last time, but I just want to give you a bit of an overview of where I'm coming from. And it does link, I think, to this idea of original sin. And I'd love to start, and we're going to end this way with reading Psalm 139. 
and we're going to do a Lectio Divina. So I'm not going to speak for the whole time. We're going to do some reflection, some discussion, and then finish with a time of Lectio Divina, which is just this gorgeous ancient discipline. Maybe you're used to doing it. A gorgeous ancient practice that really allows the living and active Word of God to speak directly to us. And I think it's important to start this way, whether we're looking whatever discipline we're coming from, theologically, therapeutically, scripturally, neuroscientifically, is that this is what we're assuming, that we can praise God. It says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And we're going to end there as well and just allow, as we read that scripture, as we read that whole psalm, uh, allow God to speak to us from his living and active word. But let's get right into what we're talking about today, and that's the theology of original sin. I know you've done some of the doctrine and some of the um, unpacking this, um, and we'll, we should know then that it has deep roots in Christian history. It can be traced back to early church fathers, particularly Augustine of Hippo, a great name, isn't it? Augustine of Hippo. Um, he played a significant role in formulating this doctrine of original sin, which has become really central aspect of Western Christian theology. And it's important to know that it is Western Christian theology. We can't just assume that this is how everybody approaches it. And one of my prayers recently has been, and I hope this is like coming from a humble place where I say to God, God, please give me your perspective rather than my perception of things. You know, we all look at things through our own perception and our perceptions are based on our nature, our nurture, our life experience, our parenting, even our attachment style, if you're aware of that. Um, And so the way that we see the world, the way that we see scripture, the way that we create doctrine is often done through a perspective. And we know all doctrine is developed in a cultural context, but also a human context too. So you know sometimes people ask, if you could have anyone round for dinner, who would you have round your dinner table? So worth just thinking, worth just thinking about now, just for fun. Um, and you can do this at home as well. Alive or dead, if you could have somebody round your dinner table, maybe just think about it or even say to the person next to you, who would you have? I'll give you 30 seconds. Who would you have round your dinner table if you could? I know we all want to come up with like really like Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, the Apostle Paul. Me and my husband would say recently, our response would be Pat and Frank Butcher. Let me give you a reason why. Uh, Because we've got a um, dressing up party. Our friends are turning 40 soon, so they're having a 1980s party. And everybody's coming up with all these outfits of how they can look amazing. They're wanting to go as like Demi Moore and Bruce... um, What's his name? Not Bruce Lee. Bruce... Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis, he's not very well, is he? Bless him. Bruce Willis or like Kylie and Jason, but I'm like, no, we're going as Pat and Frank Butcher. And um, what has interested us is that neither of us have really got to buy a costume. They're just our own clothes. Like he's like, 
got quite a lot of frank clothes and I love a bit of leopard print and big earrings. So I'm like, I just need a wig and I'm good. But anyway, so that's who I'd have around our table right now. But actually, I wonder who you'd have. Because for me, I always ask, this is such a therapist way of looking at it. Who would I love in my therapy room? Who would I love to come and sit in that chair? And actually, I was thinking, if Augustine of Hippo came to sit in my therapy room, I'd ask him some questions. The classic therapist question is, who was it, your mum or your dad? (laughs) Why are you here? Was it your mum or was it your dad? You know, that like, and obviously it's not as simple as that at all. But what I'd love to say, the reason why I'm talking about this is having Augustine of Hippo sat across me in a therapy chair is I'd love to get into his perception because some of his perception of the world would affect the doctrine that he created. So that's why we can afford to be curious. You know, I have this phrase and I might get it printed on a t-shirt one day. Curiosity killed the cat, not the Christian. (laughs) We can afford to be curious about doctrine. We can absolutely afford to be curious about the doctrine of original sin and how we got there. It's not heretical to question it. And questioning and curiosity can feel really scary when we've been conditioned to be compliant. And as a society, we're often conditioned to be pretty compliant. And in the church, I love the church. Since I met Jesus in 2003, I've been in a love affair with the church. I love the church. But often the church conditions us to be quite compliant to nod, to say yes, to agree, and it's okay for us to be curious. Often what we do, and again, I'm not getting right into the doctrine of it, I'm just thinking, I just like to provoke, because I don't want to come up with an idea of telling you what to think. I want to say, how can we learn how to think, so we can think good God thoughts about Scripture, about doctrine, about what we've just assumed is true. And questioning and curiosity can feel scary. And often what we do, and I see this a lot in church, I see it as a pastor, I see it as a psychotherapist, of people deny their authenticity to prefer attachment. Now what I mean by that is that we deny what we might really be thinking or what we might really be feeling because we want to remain attached. We want to remain part of the tribe. We want to remain part of the church. And I just want to remind us when we're looking at huge concepts and um, huge doctrines like original sin is that we never sever our attachment with God. We can be completely authentic. We can be completely honest and open and kind of deconstruct some of the things or reconstruct some of our thoughts around doctrine without giving up that attachment. And let me just remind you this brilliant verse from Romans 8 that tells us, that reminds us how loved we are. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And I would put in there, and I know you're not meant to add to scripture, but just anecdotally, I'd put in there, not even questioning well thought of doctrines. Don't separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. And we read that in Romans 8, 38 to 39. And you probably know, because you've been talking about this for a, for a good while now, that Augustine's perspective on original sin was influenced by his own spiritual journey, his own perspective and theological reflections. 
And I don't know if you've talked about the Pelagian controversy of the time and um, dispute in the early Christian church in the 5th century revolving around issues of human nature. But we can park that because what I'm interested in is reminding us both in terms of neuroscience and neuroscience, although it's seen as a secular discipline, for me, it's just the exploration of how God has created us and made us to be. When we're looking at how we work and how we work is good and how we work is always about being renewed in our body, through our cells, in our mind, through neuroception, through um, neuroplasticity, through neurogenesis, and I'm going to unpack all of that, um, we're good. I, didn't, I don't think I finished that sentence there. Sorry, I wasn't sure where I was going. But what I'm wanting to say is I'm not focusing on how can I change your mind? How can I convince you? This isn't it. This is about me saying, let's look through this discipline of um, neuroscience at, that's totally backed up with scripture about the fact that we are incredibly good. And we're going to spend some time, like I said, engaging in the practice of Lectio Divina. And hopefully you'll walk out of here, or if you're online, you will stand up with a spring in your step, with maybe a fresh revelation, um, a renewed revelation, a brand new revelation of how incredibly good you are. So let me... Let me give you some quantifiable evidence. Now, I'm not sure if you're like me, but if, I, if somebody just says, you're so good, you're so good, you're so loved, you're so amazing, I'm like, yeah, thanks. Give me the quantifiable evidence. I remember when I was in Australia, and I still pray for this lady, and I'm not, I can't remember if I told this story last time. It's obviously been on my mind for the last six months. I was in Australia, I went to a church, and I went against all of my introverted keep myself to myself values because I raised my hand in an appeal now I'm not a raise your hand kind of gal (laughs) but I did I was like yes I'm going to recommit my life to Jesus I I absolutely am and this lovely lady came up to me and said oh we just she was Australian because I was in Australia oh we just really love you you're so loved and I was like no you don't you don't even know me (laughs) Like, absolute clash of, like, really British, stoic Britishness in this really, like, over-the-top Aussie love. Because I'm like, you don't know me. And I, the kind of what Psalm 139, fridge magnet, wear it on your T-shirt, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm like, give me the evidence. And the good thing is that there's so much. There's so much evidence. And it's so scriptural. It's so biblical. And now, because of the way neuroscience works and the way that we can scan brains and see what's going on in a brain, see what a brain is made of, um, I think we can really endorse what scripture says through science and it's this great quote by Dr Caroline Leaf science is always catching up with scripture I love that science is always catching up with what scripture has to say so let me give you some of the quantifiable evidence of why you're loved or sorry of why you're good of why you're always being made new. In fact, as you're sat here now, regardless of age or stage of your life, you are being made new. You are being renewed. 
Now that's just not a theological concept. That's just not like a nice phrase that we might say to somebody. It's in your cells. It's in your DNA. You are being renewed just by hearing a message, declaring the goodness of God, reading scripture, declaring worship songs, if they're theologically sound, um, declaring good worship songs that align with scripture. You are being made new because it rewires your brain. Every morning when you wake up, you are made new. It's the process of neurogenesis, and I'll unpack it in a minute. Um, This idea of neurogenesis, that when you wake up every morning, you have a whole load of good nerve cells, synapses, um, neurons, sorry, that are available to you to think thoughts that are healthy and holy. And Joe, I'm not sure if you were mocking me, Joe, when she said, as we were leaving the house today, you're being made holy and whole. But that's what that's my life's work. Were you mocking me, Joe? That's my thing. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I just wasn't sure. Uh, yeah, me, like me and Joe have known each other for a long time. So we're good. We're all good. Um, yeah, that is my thing. And it's based on 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that God is making you holy and whole in your body, in your soul, and your spirit, because you are good, because you are created in his image, and because that goodness isn't something that just sits on a page, it's knitted into your very DNA. So let me get into this. So your brain, your, the storage capacity of your brain is virtually unlimited. Though I don't know if you're like me at this kind of age and stage of my life where I walk into a room, can't quite remember why I was there. You know, despite all of that kind of stuff that can go on in our brain, you have um, 86 billion neurons and each neuron forms connections to other neurons which could add up to one quadrillion connections in your brain now that speaks to me of goodness that speaks to me of being created in the um, image of a creator god who has taken great detail over you so your brain storage capacity we're talking about 300 years of your favorite netflix show on repeat. So it's pretty much um, no end to your ability to store information. Now, brain information, actually, I'm going to put it up there, out there. Um, Sorry if you're online because you can't respond to this. Um, But I'd love to ask, brain information travels at so many miles per hour in your brain. Would anyone like to hazard a guess? I'm going to come to you, Joe, so we don't have to sit in the silence. How many miles an hour do you think? Go quite low, because if you go high, then it's like not very sensationalist, and I can't go, no, so much more than that. 30 miles an hour, great. Safe for pedestrians, nice and safe. 30 miles an hour, so much more than that, Joe. Sometimes this goes wrong, because people are like, 85,000 miles an hour, and I'm like, you've ruined it. No, it's lower than that, but it's meant to be quite a sensationalist moment. But this information travels at 268 miles per hour, not safe for pedestrians, 268 miles per hour. Per hour. So when a neuron is stimulated, it generates an electrical impulse that travels from cell to cell at 268 miles an hour. Now, whether I'm looking at this through a theological lens, neuroscience lens, a scriptural lens, I can't look at that information and go, oh, we're made so bad. You're made so good. You're made in the image of the creator. So good. So full of potential. So full of goodness, but not just as a one-off act. It's renewable. This goodness renews itself every single day. Now, it's a myth that you only use 10% of your brain. You use all of it, even when you're sleeping. And um, so, 
um, neuroscience confirms that your brain is always active. And now this is not a um, this is not a men are better than women. Um, comment at all, but it won't surprise you, maybe as a male or a, or a female, that um, women's brains um, work are a lot more active than men's ones. There's a lot more going on. Um, it's true, it's backed up by science, I'm sorry, it's backed up by science. If you scan a brain, that's what you see. Um, they're a lot more active. Now that's got absolutely nothing to do with capacity or intelligence or anything like that, but it does sometimes explain um, why as women we can overthink and like use, there's a lot going on all the time in our brain. And lastly, let me just give you this bit of information. And I love this because it sounds so biblical. And also, it's probably very likely to never come up in a pub quiz. But if it does, you will know some good information about how a piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand, that's why I love it, because that's such like a biblical language, isn't it? A size of grain, the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons one billion synapses just in one piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand. Now, when that lovely Aussie woman said to me, oh, you're so loved, you're so amazing. And I was like, you don't even know me. If she'd have like whacked me around the face with that fact, I'd have probably shut up because it would have been the good evidence that I needed to know that I am so loved, that I am good. I am created in the image of the creator that God's fingerprints are all over me. And just very lastly, the human brain can generate about 23 watts of power, which is enough to light a light bulb. Now that might come up in a pub quiz and that's pretty brilliant. So what I just, I just want to continue coming back to the truth that you are good that you are so good. And we know, don't we, theologically, that God in Genesis 1, we start in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3 of the fall. We start in Genesis 1 of the goodness where God made you, not kind of just haphazardly. He made you intricately, beautifully, powerfully, so that you were always being renewed and that you being good isn't a one-off thing. The original goodness isn't a one-off thing. It's something that gets renewed every single day. Now, I absolutely love NT, right? But I'm going to cross over that. <laughs> I'm going to miss that because um, it's not really actually, I think, where I'm going to go with this. Though I do love NT, right? And I will have it said publicly that he is a bit of a crush of mine. I'll be honest with you. That's, I think that's okay. Um, my husband knows, so that's all good. Um, but anyway, I do... I, yeah, I do kind of want to stick with this idea that our brokenness is not the starting point, our belovedness is. Our brokenness is not the starting point, our belovedness is. Can you imagine, and I can't, and I can't wait to sit with Jesus and talk about this, that when we were knitted together in the secret place, as we read in Psalm 139, the delight that God took over knitting you together of creating just one piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand full of so many synapses and connections and so intricately and amazingly made, fearfully and wonderfully made. God sees all that he made and declares, not that it, just that it is good, that it is very good. And something that I want to bring and highlight, and I th I've said it, I've said it and I'm going to say it again, is that this isn't a one-off act, that you are being renewed and made good in your body and your soul and your spirit every single day. 
I'm going to hop over here. I'm glad I've got a clicker because I am just terrible for the tech team um, because I just hop around so much. But let me just give you this idea of, um, that backs up this idea of why we're good and why this is just, why this physicalizes in our body. A lot of the time when we look at doctrine or theories or theology, we, we can separate it from our physical body. But God's really knitted that, knitted it into our body through this process of neurogenesis. That's just one of many ways. And in this process, as I mentioned earlier, this is how our brains generate new neurons every single day. So it's like a reset button that our brain presses whilst we're, we're asleep. So specialised areas in the brain, hippocampus, they're responsible for the, producing these new cells. Now, what I find a lot in the church is that people take this stuff and they allow it to just sit in a science lab or in a psychology journal or in the field of neuroscience, which maybe they think is maybe slightly secular. But I think this stuff is deeply biblical. You know, his mercies are made new. Um, his mercies are new every morning. That physicalizes into your actual body. And for me, that's just beautiful, quantifiable evidence that we are made with original goodness in mind, that we are just so good, so covered in the fingerprints of God. It's our identity. Now, it's not always our behavior. We don't always outwork that stuff, but it's our identity and who God has called us to be. So this ongoing renewal process provides us with the ability to choose and create new ways of thinking. So just like the start of a new day, our brain, your brain gets a fresh batch of neurons. You were given them this morning. You know, that scripture physicalizing into our actual bodies. And let me just give you a little therapist tip. And I spoke about this recently, and when I'd finished speaking, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, how can you be a Christian and teach that stuff? And I said, okay, tell me more about your journey. This person's journey is that they'd been, in the, they'd been brought up and remained in the new age for um, their whole life. They were kind of in their early 30s. They'd been very entrenched in the occult. And I was talking about vagus nerve activity, um, which we won't go into today, but you can Google it. There's loads on the internet. And utilising your alpha brainwaves. Now, he said, I know that using your alpha brainwaves and using, stimulating your vagus nerve works, but how's that Christian? And so I said, well, who do you think knitted a vagus nerve into your body? Who do you think created that? Who do you think's given your brain and knitted your brain with the good, originally good process of being able to slip in and out of alpha brainwaves? And we had a very interesting conversation about how new age secular society has often co-opted the genius of God, twisted it and perverted it for, for its own gain. But I believe we can, if we understand and we know the truth, and we can stand on the truth, of, of, I believe, of, of original goodness and how that goodness isn't just a one-off act, that it's renewing in our body, in our soul, in our spirit every single day. We can take back some of that stuff and, and reclaim it as God's original genius. So here's what I was talking about, alpha brainwaves. So when you drift to sleep at night or when you wake up in the morning, unless you have a toddler like I do and then you don't get to gently wake up, there is an assault on your senses. So if you're in that season or stage of life um, maybe this doesn't apply when you're trying to wake up slowly in the morning though I did wake up wonderfully slowly this morning um, in beautiful lovely um, cozy bed in Bath so thank you Joe and Sarah for that um, anyway 
When you go to sleep and when you wake up, your brain slips into alpha state, which is a very relaxed state, which means whatever you declare over yourself, whatever you think on, whatever you meditate on in that falling asleep and waking up moment gets past your subconscious, past your conscious mind and into your subconscious, into what I would call your inner man, into your inner person. Now, I believe God's given us those so that when we meditate on the truth of who he is, the truth of his goodness and the fact that we've been made in his image, that doesn't just go into our kind of prefrontal cortex thinking. It goes right into the depth of our our brain chemistry and the truth of who we are. Imagine if we utilise that, that what I believe is a God-given tool to meditate on the fact that there's nothing we can do that would separate us from the love of Christ, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we can use scripture in those moments when we're falling asleep and when we're waking up, it can be an incredible, powerful tool for remembering who we are and who we, be, who we belong to, which I believe is key when we look at the uh, doctrine of original goodness. So alpha brainwaves and neuroplasticity. Also this, sorry, and neurogenesis. And also this idea of neuroplasticity. Just give me a little hands up if you've heard about this before. Yeah, that's quite great. Okay, so we we now no longer assume that our brain is fixed, um, that it's just a fixed entity. We know that our brain is malleable, it's changeable. We can rewire it at any given moment. And the primary way we do that is through our thought life. So here, again, it's just this other beautiful example of how we're constantly being made new. We're constantly, if we utilise this in the way that God's given us to utilise it, we're constantly aligning ourselves with the truth of Scripture and becoming more, potentially, more like Christ, more who, more um, an image of who God has created us to be. We're stepping into the fullness of who God has created us to be. I just want to pray for a minute. I just want to pray for those of us who might be struggling with thoughts and aligning our thoughts with the fact that we are good, with the fact that we are created in God's image, originally good. That goodness isn't just a theory, it's something that's knitted into your very DNA. It's something that's knitted into your cells. You hold that goodness at a cellular level. And it's not to do with what you do or don't do. It's to do with your very identity of who you've been knitted to be. So God, we bring ourselves to you. And I pray that you would help us understand that at that very cellular level, in our body, in our soul and in our spirit, you are making us holy and whole. That you are always about the work of renewal in us. That just because we may feel stuck or we might have felt entrenched by a certain dogma or a certain way of thinking to do with our nature or even our nurture, God, that you can still speak renewal, new beginnings, new mornings, new mercies. I pray that we'd understand that as a concept and that we could walk out head up, shoulders back in a humble way, knowing that we've been created in your image and that you are recreating us every day. I want to pray specifically for those who are struggling with thoughts, 
where their thoughts feel dark and difficult and chaotic. God, I thank you that even in the most chaotic moments and chaotic minds, you don't avoid us, you dwell, you hover, you brood and you create things that are beautiful and orderly. And I thank you for that. May we get a revelation, a continued revelation that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay. Great. Okay. So that's a whistle-stop tour of how, and again, it's not necessarily taking a doctrine and pulling it apart. I believe you've done that. I'm wanting to give you some of the stuff that's knitted into your body that reminds you again and again and again that you are created in God's image and that you're being recreated every day, body, soul, and spirit. So we're going to have some time now where I'm going to ask you to discuss Um, For anybody, for any fellow introverts that as soon as I said that, your tummy turned over and you thought, oh my gosh, I did not sign up for that today. That's okay. You can either kind of decide to lean into the truth, lean into, um, lean into it. Um, It's what if I was doing CBT, I'd call exposure therapy. Just lean into it, go for it. Just acknowledge and embrace the fact it might feel uncomfortable for you, but that's okay. Um, Or you might just really want to get into introvert mode and open your Bible and just get into deep pretending you're doing deep study, but you're just trying to avoid the whole thing. Any fellow introverts will know exactly what I mean. Or if you really are introverted, just go to the toilet in this bit. But I'd love to encourage you to engage with it um, as part of the community that you are and that you are being made into in this place. So I'd love to ask you two questions here. One, what did you think about the statement of we choose attachment over authenticity? When I said often we deny our authenticity and what we really think because we prefer attachment and it's easier just to be part of an organisation than it is to fear um, not being attached to that organisation or to those people because we might think something differently. So that's kind of a two-part question. And you can, if you're at home, you can think about this stuff um, or discuss it with whoever you might be with um, at home right now. And the second part of that question is, has there ever been a time where you have denied your authenticity or repressed your thoughts, whether it's on a dogma or, um, sorry, whether it's on a doctrine or anything like that, um, in order to fit in and avoid rejection? So they're two big questions. I'm, I'm a therapist. I'm like, go deep or go home. And if there's uncomfortable, si- if there's uncomfortable silence, I'm, that's my life. I'm happy. I can sit in uncomfortable silence for a long time. So um, there doesn't need to be uncomfortable silence. You can really engage with this. So what do you think about the statement of we choose attachment over authenticity and has there been a time where you've done that in your life? Okay, so we'll give a couple of minutes for that and then we're going to come back into Lectio Divina. Healthy, holy, helpful conversations to have, I think. And hopefully through, and it is a whistle-stop tour, how do you talk about the intricate design of the brain in such a short amount of time? But what I'm wanting to communicate and what I'm wanting to convey is that goodness is your identity knitted into yourselves. Now, it might not always be our behaviour. I always say to my children, um, I, well, when I'm thinking about my children, I separate their behaviour and the things that they might do from their identity. And sometimes it comes to bite me on the bum because a couple of weeks ago, my eldest, Hudson, said to me, 
Mum, can I watch Strictly tonight? And I said, oh. And I never use this phrase with my children, but I was loading the dishwasher. I wasn't really thinking. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, if you're good. And he said to me, Mum, I am good. I'm inherently good because I'm made in God's image. I was like, whoa, okay, there we go. But that's the stuff. Like, whether no matter how we'd behave that evening, he's still inherently good because he's made in God's image. And that goodness isn't a one-off act. It's not just a gift that God gives us. Oh, I'll give you a bit of goodness in the beginning until you go and ruin it by your bad, sinful behaviour. It's knitted into our DNA that we're being constantly renewed, constantly being made good, constantly being returned back to that image, that original design of being made in God's creation. And we might have a predisposition, and I've had to skip over this with regards to epigenetics. And it's a fascinating area of study, which you can Google, or you could even, if you are into ChatGPT, put into ChatGPT, I know that's probably controversial in and of itself, but you could put in to it um, tell me about epigenetics in a, in a simple way um, and it can or maybe not so simple you know in maybe you'd like it in the most complex way possible I'm not going to assume but essentially the study of epigenetics um, is fascinating it explores that we have changes in our gene activity that don't involve alterations to our underlying DNA so essentially you might have a predisposition towards something um, but it's not your predestination because God interrupts it through him making you new all the time. And we could do you could do a whole series on that, Joe, if you ever wanted me to come and do that. But we, um, we won't go there. But I just want that to lead us into a time of we're just going to do a, a quick Lectio Divina so we can finish at 11.30. And this is just this idea of divine reading, of allowing what I believe and uh, is a living and active word of God, not to speak to you through my lens or through my interpretation or through my attachment style or my perception of things, but to speak directly to you. And it involves four processes. One is reading, lectio. The second is meditation, meditatio. Prayer, oratio, and then contemplation, contemplatio. Um, and I'm just going to use Psalm 139 in order to do this. So we're going to put some music on. I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to open your hand. Just position yourself in a place where you can connect with the Word of God. And I want to read this over you. And as I do, and there's a quicker version of it today, but as I do, I would love you to listen for a word a phrase, it might be a picture, something that jumps out of this scripture to you today. Then we're going to take that and take it to God in prayer and you can carry that with you for the rest of the day as we allow this beautiful God-breathed scripture to speak into our lives. So however you want to position yourself, um, feel free to do so as I read this over you. So I'm going to read it and you're looking for a word, a phrase, a concept that almost like the Holy Spirit would highlight with a holy highlighter that is just for you today. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are well. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So God, as we have listened to that scripture, as we've allowed your word to have the run of the house and our hearts, whatever was highlighted today, whatever stood out to us from that verse, from those verses, would you just continue to speak to us about that? Would you continue to meet us in all of your goodness, in all of the goodness that you've created in us, in our bodies, in our souls, in our spirit? Would you meet with us and just continue to unpack that for us? Remind us of who we are and who we belong to. Remind us that we've been created in your image, good, very, very good and that you are creating and recreating that goodness every single day. Thank you, God, for your word and for your spirit. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.